Need to create a complex enterprise Angular application? Angular Bootcamp is an intensive three-day workshop class to learn the basics of Angular through sophisticated techniques for real-world applications. We target Angular 6 and the recent versions with much of the curriculum is suitable back to Angular 2. Or go beyond the three-day class with a consultation or project launch with Oasis Digital, the team behind Angular Bootcamp. We can assist your team or launch your project with advanced Angular topics including scalability, data flow, state management, full stack product design, and more. Contact us for a private class at your location or buy a ticket for public classes in various cities around the U.S. and occasionally in Europe. Online live instructor training is also available at angularbootcamp.com. Welcome everybody back to an Adventures in Angular podcast. And this week, we have a special guest, Asim Hussein. But before we get to him, learning about AI with JavaScript, we also have on our panel, Ward Bell. Hello, everyone. And myself, John Papa. And Asim, tell us about yourself. Hi. Well, uh, yeah, my name is Asim Hussein. Uh, I've been developing for, I think, what do I say now, 17 years? I've been doing Angular, I think, for five years. I have the, the website CodeCraft.tv and the book Angular from Theory to Practice. So that's how I'm known in the Angular space. I'm also a developer advocate at Microsoft, uh, working with a few other people, including you. And um, yeah, I've also a, I man, I run or I co-run the Meetup Group in London, AI JavaScript, and. Um, yeah, I'm just really big into Angular, really big into into AI these days, and I just wanted to talk to you guys about it. Awesome. Is there anything you yeah. don't do? There's anything I don't do. I don't <laughs> uh, exercise. I don't uh, eat healthy. I, um, yeah. Well, well, That's well, extraordinary. I, I don't believe that looking at you. Yes. No. Yeah, for those of you who uh, can't see Asim, Asim is about 7 foot 10, <laughs> I think, right? Right? <laughs> real. 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 11, 10, 11, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks great. And, so when you uh, talk to us about this, uh, about doing this podcast, I like this one because it's about an interesting topic for me, uh, AI, artificial intelligence. But I think a great place to start would be, what does AI mean to you? And where do you think this fits into the JavaScript uh, ecosystem? Oh, that's two, two interesting questions. So... Um, so I think AI is all about um, getting machines. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in a lot. Part of AI I'm interested in is machine learning. So getting machines to learn behaviors so they can perform certain tasks in a far more efficient than perhaps like a human being could do. Right? At like a greater scale and, and, uh, and like that. And that opens up lots of opportunities, right? I don't know if you, I don't, I don't, do I need to go through and, and, and justify AI, AI's existence or should we? Well, I don't think justify it so much as I think the problem I see a lot of times is how do people, myself included, when you think about AI, it sounds cool. I think of like, you know, Star Wars and stuff that Ward loves, but mm-hmm. <laughs> well, where am I going to use it in my real world, right? How does this apply well, to something you're going to actually build with? Well, I tell you, I tell you where I kind of got got into AI. This is years and years ago. How I got into AI at the start. That was actually to build uh, recommendation systems. So I had a an events website, and uh, based off of the events that you chose to go to, I wanted to then surface other events to people uh, based off of those events. And, and yeah, this was a long time ago. Uh, Facebook, I think, a year later, added that feature to, to its kind of event system. But that, you know, the, the, the tools and the technologies that you use to do that were basically based off of AI. So we basically get a, a, a data set. So the data set would be the events that you chose to go to. And I also had events that you would explicitly click no to. Um, and you'd essentially train a model based off that data. And so then later on, it can infer whether or not you would like to go to an event or not go to an event based off of past data. So I was using a Bayesian model. It's very, very simple. In fact, that's what spam filtering in your in your inbox is all all is all based on this uh, these kind of models, these kind of AI learning models. So I suppose spam, not seeing spam, is probably one of the most important things that AI has ever done. Um, but yeah, so it's all kind of uh, based 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 off of that. That's how I got into it. Um, I then didn't really 
keep a track of it for a long time. And then I only really got back into, I'd say, uh, last year. Um, and by that point, I'd become a JavaScript developer. But before, when I was interested in AI previously, I was a Python developer. But since then, I've kind of reformed and became a JavaScript developer. And, and really, AI and JavaScript has never really found a, a good marriage until, until recently. So for a long time, AI, AI, AI didn't stop happening just because I was working on JavaScript. AI world no? was growing. Yeah, it was just, I know, it's crazy, right? I the thought AI it really world, came out when Asim said, you have to start using AI in JavaScript. Yeah, that's it. That's when the whole world listened and, you know, followed, followed <laughs> I see what's going on. No, like uh, the, the, the AI has been growing exponentially um, for a long time with the growth of the amount of data that, that we're collecting from from all kinds of places um but as a javascript developer you were kind of like hidden away from it. you kind of heard about this ai stuff that's happening uh, you knew it was growing big you, you knew everybody's getting really excited about it but as a javascript developer it's kind of it's not your bag it's like not your thing can um, you give uh, like an example of like what's something that you've recently done or seen that you could do with ai and javascript that was pretty cool like a cool use case Oh, so with with JavaScript, um, some interesting ones. A lot of the interesting ones that I'm seeing are um, a lot of the fun ones that I'm seeing, to be honest with you, because I think this is one of the interesting things about Java. When I talk about JavaScript, we really talk about the web community. When we talk about the web community, we're talking, I think, about some of the most creative developers on the planet. As soon as you give them the power of AI, you start seeing some incredibly creative things being built and some really fun stuff. A very, very fun demo I saw recently was there's a, an actual library called Magenta.js, which sits on top of TensorFlow.js, which allows you to do um, AI with music, which is really interesting. And you're holding a guitar right now, but it might be interesting in that. So you can basically uh, train an AI with kind of past kind of uh, <coughs> musical notes and it will then basically infer a new song based out of it. Um, and uh, yeah, there's some really, and that's just a few, a few things they've got. They've built, um, uh, uh, in terms of TensorFlow.js, they've built, um, uh, there's a library called PoseNet, which is very exciting. I'm really looking forward to start using uh, for a few demos. But essentially, they can, um, you know, you can detect faces. Oh, you can detect faces with JavaScript now as well, with the face <laughs> API. So it's all these things. You can detect faces now directly from within JavaScript, directly from within the browser. You could do facial detection, which detects the features of your face in real time, live. I mean, these are things that perhaps if you're building a native iOS or a native Android application, you would have kind of plugins in order to be able to do that. It was a lot harder to do that in JavaScript. You can now do that in JavaScript. Um, so, which kind of opens kind up of, a lot of possible. If I, if I walk through that for a second, uh, through a scenario like that you just laid out, Tell me where I'm right or wrong on this. Let's say you build a web application with JavaScript and you want to do some kind of face recognition. Like you want to have, you want to write an app called WordBell or not WordBell. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's everybody, a great, everybody's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great one. <laughs> and, I, and I encourage all of our listeners to make this app and share it with yeah. us on Twitter so we can really, really get your recognition. Or like, or like uh, so, a website that says, are you WordBell? And there's only one person in the world that can ac access it. Exactly. There you uh, or, or the, the opposite way, way around. Everybody can access it but WordPress. <laughs> That's it. No so, word here. The one thing you wanted to know about WordPress and only <laughs> people who are not WordPress. You know what? And I just put on a Darth Vader mask and I'd be in. So if you built that app with JavaScript, uh, write it in JavaScript, Angular, React, whatever, you would be able to then, would in this case, we're thinking it through, you could either upload a picture of yourself or you could use the camera because we can access the camera through the browser, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then take that image and then send that to some API somewhere, like some web-hosted API that then processes it and says, uh, against some baseline, you probably have a baseline of WordBell images that you probably taught the AI. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah that's are you disagreeing with me or is that real? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm agreeing with you. What I'm, what I'm, because okay. there are lots of APIs that that that, that, that let you do that. I mean, Azure's got a great API that lets you do um, facial recognition. But the one thing that, that I think is a is a really good, um, really good stuff that's happening right now is with TensorFlow JS and the Face API JS. You can actually detect facial features in the browser without needing to make an API call. And See, one of the things fun. you can then do is then 
because you don't want to snap an image and then be sending like every second polling this API and sending an image from the cam from the camera every second just in case a face appears in the image. Maybe you want to do things in combination so that the JavaScript library is running on the client side. It detects a face. You then snap a picture, call the API, get some more detailed information, and and pull it back there. So there's in terms of how we want to. So, so that really is an important distinction, Asim, because. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was all ready for you to tell me, you know, you just capture some stuff and then you send it to the back end and the back end grinds on it and tells you something. And, and yeah. you know, that doesn't seem hard. Uh, uh, I mean, the hard part is all being done back there at the server. But what you're actually talking about is bringing some of the, the, the machine learning outcome, actually mm. doing that process in client side. That's right. Doing it efficiently client side. That's amazing. Are you really saying that? that? Is the, yeah, well, that's the amazing, amazing stuff that's been happening. So at the, at the start of at the start of this year, I was speaking at a conference in, um, in Austria. And I was the last speaker of the day. And the AMC, and there was a talk, and I was talking about an, an app I'd created. It was just that, which was using AI, but using it from just by making API calls. Um, and he asked me, hey, Asim, do, could you just make just a little uplifting, your last speaker of the day, say something uplifting at the end. And so I just I came up with this impassioned speech about how uh, JavaScript and AI, 2018 was going to be the year AI or JavaScript developers got into AI. I just had a feeling about it. And then like literally like a month later or a month or two later, um, at the TensorFlow conference in America, they announced TensorFlow.js. Have you heard of the words TensorFlow at all? No, so you're going to tell us what TensorFlow is because yeah. it's new to me. Yeah. So TensorFlow is like the, so the, the most popular machine learning tool uh, out there uh, right now. Uh, a tensor is actually just a multidimensional array. So I think it goes like scalar, vector, array, two-dimensional array. And I've forgotten how many dimensions you need to get to, but you reach a certain number of dimensions where you just call it a tensor and then you carry on from there. And TensorFlow is a, an application um, which lets you run mathematical operations on tensors, so like lots of matrix multiplication, in an incredibly parallel and efficient way. So it can work parallelly across nodes and also parallelize the calculation on a, on a GPU, on a computer. So it's, it's incredibly efficient for doing those types of calculations. Those types of calculations are perfect for doing uh, machine learning, with, especially with neural nets. So that's been, been, that was released, I think, about a year and a half ago or something like that. Um, and it really just took everything by storm. A lot of stuff's been, been built. A lot of AI these days being built and driven uh, using TensorFlow, using neural nets in TensorFlow. And uh, about... I think it's, I can't remember now. Was it April? April, May? Um, they, they announced uh, TensorFlow.js. Now, first, when I heard about TensorFlow.js, I just thought it was like a, a node binding to TensorFlow, like a binding to a, an application that you can just use to... to, to the, so you'd have to, basically, you'd have to have TensorFlow proper installed on your computers in order to be able to use TensorFlow.js. But no, that's not what TensorFlow.js is. TensorFlow.js is a complete rewrite of TensorFlow in JavaScript, which is what's so exciting about TensorFlow.js. Um, so what that means is, is that you can just drop a script tag. It's as simple as this. You can just drop a script tag in a HTML page and do most of the things that you can do with TensorFlow, but in the browser. And that's it's really exciting. No backend, um, right? I can just cut, I just no cut, the wire, I cut the wire and I'm doing yep. something. You're doing something. And that's... That's the thing. When I talk to people about TensorFlow.js, it's when I show them, here's a script tag. You just add it in the head. You're ready to go. That's it. Um, and they built it. That wasn't by accident. They specifically built it that way for, for that purpose because they recognized the value in that, right? I mean, you can just create a code pen or, or something and drop a script tag and you're ready to rock and roll. Um, and I don't know how much... Should I explain what... Um, so a, a neural net, I don't know how to explain this, a neural net, this is, this is a, a very easy to explain in a slide. I don't have to explain this in a podcast, but I'll try. Um, so now you, in your, in your head, you've got this thing called brains. Well, I, I do anyway. I only um, have one of them, actually. You only got one of them? Brains. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, you have a brain. 
Um, and inside that brain, you have hopefully neurons, uh, but maybe you only got one, I don't know. But um, you have neurons, <laughs> normally you have neurons. Um, and what these are are just, I mean, all, all that neuron really is, is like a cell which has some, some wires going into it and some wires going out of it. And if enough, enough electricity pumps into the wires that go in, the cell might say, okay, I'll pump some electricity out the other side. And the amazing thing is if you, if you throw millions and millions and billions of these together, you get, you get a John Papa and you get a Ward Bell. You, you, you get us. So this very, very simple construct gives us kind of the, the power to, to think, right? And so what you can do it with, uh, you can actually replicate that on a computer with a neural net, which is essentially just, just, just imagine coding that up. Imagine just having a node like if you coded this up your hand, there are people, lots of people code these things up completely from scratch. You just have a node which has some edges going into it with some weights um, and some edges going out of it uh, with some weights. And then you just, you're just connecting a load of these things together. And then the whole thing is basically a bunch of matrix multiplications. And maybe you, you, you put them in layers. So you might have like four or five or six or 10 layers or something like that. And the first, each layer, you might have like a 10, uh, hundred nodes in the first layer and then 50 and then 20 and 10 until eventually maybe you get to one. In the input nodes, you maybe you pump in a bunch of features. So it could be the pixel values of an image and the output node might, you might just have zero is cat and one is dog, right? And then you, you feed in enough data, you feed in enough data so that the, it's kind of like a graph, right? So the, the, the weights in this graph basically get tuned so that when you feed in an image, it just gives you a zero for a cat and a one for a dog. That's basically a neural network, and that's what... And presumably you're giving it some training data to, to help it change those weights, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. So yeah. you take some, some fraction ahead of time. Now, that's the thing that you usually do ahead of time, um, uh, is my understanding, and that's why I was kind of curious about training in the browser itself. So I guess you're suggesting that these... The algorithms for training it are such that they are fast enough that uh, I like have to show only ten cats and dogs, and it'll figure out what you know. That's enough to get it to figure out cat every time, or what? Well, this is where it's it's a really good question. Right? This is where it's it's really interesting what's what's going on because I think that this also helps answer the question of where do jobs with developers fit in the AI space, right? So. You can, yes, you can, if you're using TensorFlow.js, you can train in the browser. They've built it to enable you to do that. Okay, so you can do, has the all the similar APIs that you have to the TensorFlow Python uh, libraries, and you can do all that yourself if you want, right? Uh, but, you know, the, the performance is not going to be as good at all than, than if you're training this on the server side, but you can do that in the browser side, and it's great as a learning tool, if nothing else. But there's other two other things you can do with TensorFlow.js. And I think the one thing that's really exciting is load model. Okay. So when you're training these models, so maybe you're training like a, the, the cats and dogs one. Maybe you train that on the server side using, I don't know, 10,000 servers and it took you a week of computation. That's what I'm expecting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're going to essentially have this giant graph of data with weights inside it. Maybe not even that big, to be honest with you, but a graph of data with weights. Yeah, that's your model. That's your model. You can export that. You can export that as a JSON file. Yep. Right? With TensorFlow.js, you can load that JSON file. That's what I'm expecting. Yeah, and then you can do an inference mode where you're basically just passing in, it's not learning, but you're using it. You're passing in a new image and it'll tell you if that's a cat or a dog. Um, so with TensorFlow.js, you can actually, they've actually also built in tools where you can export existing uh, TensorFlow models that have been built using the Python or Keras, which is a, another uh, kind of layer above TensorFlow uh, Python. Uh, but you can essentially export those models and then use them from JavaScript. That's where I think it's going to be really exciting, you see, because I see a future which is going to be a little bit like this. I see a future where you're working in a company, there's a data scientist, machine learning engineer, somebody who's basically built uh, a model, uh, perhaps who's, they've just finished off with just a, a, a Python script. Maybe they're a mathematician and they're not very good at, at developing and they've just built you know, a batch Python script, built a model. Somebody needs to be able to then take that and create an application out of it. Maybe that's where 
JavaScript developers fit in. Maybe we need to know enough AI in order to be able to take that model and build something with it and use it. Um, yeah, that's one of the things you can do with it. That's, I think, an exciting model for it. And there's also a thing called transfer learning, which is so incredible. It's just... Yeah, trans, there's this thing called transfer learning. Have I, have I blown your mind yet, or have you... Have you uh... Well, okay. let, let, we'll let our audience decide. Uh, okay. I, I, we're going to circle back to some what might be some practical applications of doing, yes. uh, you know, let's, let's stipulate that we're not going to do machine learning in the browser. I'm sorry, we're not going to develop the model in the browser. What we're going to do is um, take advantage of a model that either we've created or somebody else has been uh, uh, very nice to say, I have a model that does something you want. And so you go shopping for it and you get it. And now there would be some advantage to downloading that, as you say, in JSON, and having my application then exploit that with the help of, say, TensorFlow to take inputs through my application and get results right there without my having to go back to the server. Exactly. All right. So, so, I mean, I think that is that the vision you're describing. Let's just let's stick with that idea for the moment. That would be the developer flow. That would be the developer flow. There is one other thing that I think is an, a, a really exciting um, uh, halfway house between the two, which is something called transfer learning, which I can explain if you want as well. Okay, but then we got to come back to like what. So, if we could do this, what would yeah. we be? What good things would we be able to do in the browser? Uh, besides um, identify cats, which is you know cute, but not yeah. something I'm likely. <laughs> So um, there's a whole, a whole bunch of things. One of the things that, that they're... I think there's, there's the idea of browser, but I think there's also... I think one of the real applications for this is PWAs, right? Is, uh, is, is, is essentially apps or even just uh, hybrid applications, right? So some of these models can actually be quite large. We probably don't want to um, have people... You know, when we're so... Um, mm-hmm. uh, I've forgotten, suddenly forgotten the word. Uh, careful about... Uh, page load sizes that you know dropping in kind of couple of megabyte model uh, into your into your homepage probably isn't what you want. But however, uh, doing something where it may perhaps loads in the background via a service worker in a PWA, and then afterwards you get some better functionality is, is right for a long lived application. Something that yeah. they you knew that the client they weren't just going to use it frivolously once. There, this was going to be part of their ongoing. Um, yeah. an application that they wanted to use that you just happen to be built as a browser app instead of as a, um, you know, in HTML and JavaScript instead of having built it in uh, native, right? Let's, yeah. let's imagine that scenario because that's pretty much where we're headed, right? With spas yeah. and things like that, that's where we've been headed. We've been saying, yeah, you know what? Maybe you don't need to build an app in native mode. You can build it uh, to run in a, in a browser and put it on any machine and it'll look like it was a regular app. And it's a PWA, and so you can kind of feel like it's installed. So that's the modality. And so yes. we're willing to pay some price to download something. Now, you're going to say something about trans? trans? What? Is that change transfer the deal? Learning. This cha- this, and how does this change the deal? The transfer learning is this amazing, fascinating area, and it's considered to be, uh, by some of the leaders in the AI space, to be the next big kind of step jump in AI is going to come from transfer learning. Okay. And I think this is actually quite interesting because this is where it also applies more to us from a JavaScript space as well as is when we take into account transfer learning. So, okay, you've got this model. You've got a whole lot of data you use to train this model, whatever this model is doing. You did it on the server side. You paid a lot of money to a lot of people who had to manually go through and perhaps categorize images or, or, or go through and label. You have to label the data, right? So some needs to be some manual effort initially in order to, to, to kind of pre-categorize your training data, right? So you put, people put a lot of effort into this. But essentially what you end up these days is with, a, is with a model that is very, very tightly targeted to doing just that one job that just that data was categorized in order to do. So for instance, one example might be perhaps you trained an, an AI model which can detect uh, uh, pedestrians on a street, right? And it can do that really, really well because you've, you've, you've got lots of trained data that you tagged for that. But now you want another model which can detect uh, bicyclists on a street, right? 
what you'd normally have to do is then go through that, the entire process of getting all that data again and then categorizing bicycles and retraining a new model. The idea of transfer learning is, well, hang on. It's kind of hang on, hang on, hang on. A person on a street and a person riding the bike are kind of the same thing. Can we transfer some of the learning that happened from this first domain into the second domain, right, without, without extending that much cost in order to be able to do so? Um, and it turns out that you actually can. Or there are cases that you can, when the domains are kind of, they have some overlap, you, you can transfer some of that knowledge. So imagine, remember I explained, I gave the example of a neural net just before, where you can imagine multiple nodes and all in, in, in layers, and you feed in kind of pixel data for an image, and at the end you get, I don't know, a cat or dog, something like that. It turns out with some neural networks, when you, when you look at some of those layers as they go along, Imagine the layers going along. Each layer kind of knows a little bit more about the image until the final layer knows that it's a cat or a dog. But a couple of layers before that, it would perhaps have a node that detects um, a paw or a node that detects, uh, or uh, this node can detect a nose or this node can detect an, a right angle or this node can detect a color. Um, so there's kind of knowledge in this neural net, which in a way is transferable from one neural net to another, right? So similar, similar stuff. You just, instead of wanting to detect cats and dogs, maybe you want to detect bicyclists and human beings. So what you can actually do is you can take one of these neural, the, the, you can take one of these, the, 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 the human being neural, the, the pedestrian neural net, strip away maybe the last few layers, add a couple more layers, and just, just use that as kind of a starting point. Instead of starting from scratch, using that as a starting point, feeding in a little bit more data about bicyclists, and the magic thing is, is it actually transfers some of that knowledge over and you don't have to put as much effort into to, to get a model that, that pretty accurately detects bicyclists. Um, so that's kind of, if you imagine all the money and effort and time that's been poured into AI and creating models these days, the, the, what people are really interested in is, well, hang on, how can we, how can we be efficient about this and use those models um, to... To, to, to train up to, to kind of spread spread the usefulness of those models to other other domains right yeah so so yeah i, I that makes sense um yeah. i know it doesn't work this way but it would be a little bit like if if you had a model that went as far as recognizing animals and then it had it went the next step farther and it knew about cats and it knew about dogs well then you could back up and say uh, i'll start with the one that knew about animals and now i can do giraffes or i'll back up and Yep. find the one that, that knew four-legged creatures and, you know, could tell the difference between a plant and, a, you know, that. So I see what you're doing. If there, if there really were recognizable steps along the way to a particular conclu uh, conclusion, and if you could back up to one of those intermediate steps, then you wouldn't have to go all the way to zero. Is really yes. exactly. And the thing with transfer learning is you, you don't need to put that much more computational effort in order to, to add the extra training data, right? It's, you don't have to do a full training role. In fact, you don't have to do that much at all. Right. So, I only have to go back to that intermediate step, which is a step along the way to where I want to be. And then I just train from that point forward and it's less work, right? You need fewer training samples in order to get something a bit more, yeah. a bit more accurate. Yeah. All right. so but this is all the back end refining the process of building the model. Yes. Whether I do it from scratch or whether I do it with transfer learning, I'm still ending up with something that's going to be coming over the wire, right? Or were you suggesting that the transfer allowed me to lay a baseline down on the client and then just bring over the the different the you know, the, the, the little differences? That's exactly that's exactly right. So you would take you would download the model, the full the, the cats and dog model, and then on your phone or whatever device you're, you're, you're using, you could then train it. You could use that as a baseline. And your, your phone is powerful enough to do the transfer learning on the client side. Okay, right? you just do that last mile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you, can't, you couldn't do the, the whole training on your device, but you could just do the last mile on your device. And that is, I think, another, that's a really interesting space for, for kind of JavaScript and AI as well. And if you see some of the examples that people are doing, so... If you've ever seen, there's a couple of examples on TensorFlow.js website where they, they basically bring in some the, the, the raw models and they just do uh, the last step with transfer learning. So they've got like a fun game called Emoji Scavenger Hunt where they've got um, they've taken one database of all of all the you can recognize images called MobileNet 
So there's a database called MobileNet that you could use. You could just do an NPM install MobileNet, and then you can essentially uh, uh, have your camera of your phone. You can point it at objects, and it's clever enough to know that something's a cup, something's a pen, something's something else. And then um, they've then taken that model, stripped away the last few layers, and retrained it on new objects and new images, um, uh, which they've turned into a game. That's what they've done there. And they've also done ones where you can then use it to detect head movements for, uh, yeah, exactly. So you can use it to detect head movements. So uh, you, can, you can then, th- 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 there's, there's options then for doing it for, I forgot the word, accessibility, right? So you've got, like, you've got some raw model which knows conceptually what an edge is, what, what an eye might look like, and then you've stripped away the last few layers, you've retrained it on your face as you're turning, as you're uh, looking at your computer screen, you can then retrain it so maybe nodding up scrolls up and nodding down scrolls down or something like that. But you can do that in the browser yourself. That'd be, that'd be really bad for me as a uh, hand-waving, <laughs> head-bobbing person that you know I am. My browser yeah. would be all over the place, left, right, up, and down. Maybe if you'd be perfect, maybe you could actually turn that into um, you can multitask in your, uh, your music. Like Minority Report, yeah. Yeah, so exactly. I, I'd actually like to step back just a little bit. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this topic, but I'm also trying to figure out here, for our, for our audience, for, for Angular devs in general too, yeah. where, yes. does, where do you see the time with an Angular app? Like, when would you pull these things in? And when would you use like, something like TensorFlow versus going the service-based route? which is more yeah. like what Azure or IBM and some other clouds offer. Exactly, yeah. So um, how it ties in with, with Angular, I think, in, in large part, um, it's such early days. It's, it's so difficult to know exactly how it's going to end up. Where I guess, where I can just roughly guess uh, immediate things that I can see happening is, uh, is definitely with PWAs, Angular. I, I see this... Less being used in websites, a lot more being used with devices, a lot more being used with devices because devices have uh, images, right? Cameras, audio, uh, audio uh, recognition. Uh, but but, but wait, like so I hear you, but I want to challenge you there. Why would a PWA have access to audio and cameras, but a regular web app wouldn't? Oh, uh, that's a very good point. What kind of web apps are you building, Asim, huh? That's a very good point <laughs> that you made. Um, I think, um, yeah, I'm probably well, I, well, I thought your point about that was what you made earlier, Asim, which was that, um, th- these things are going to be big. They're not a sort of casual, let's, let's just run around from one website to another and expect instant, um, instant application because the models are going to be big. I mean, not all the models are, are big, but I think, I think there are models out there that are quite big. So, you're right. There will be cases where you probably want to be. There probably are I do think where you can do something really quick in the browser without much download fee. But I think for the most part, you probably are going to have one. Have a, there probably is will probably will be a large download. It's going to do it as a PWA. I think also I'm using the word. I'm unfortunately using the word PWA as a proxy for mobile web. Maybe actually, deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash adventures. Um, yeah, I, I think I think you and I both, we've had chats in the past since we worked together and about PWAs. I think we both like them a lot, but I agree. Yeah. I think sometimes I'm using PWA in the context these days of more of a mobile web type app. Yeah. Um, I think a mobile web app is really what you're, you're talking about, though, in this case, right? Where they'd be the best case for something like this. Yeah. Or at least a web app. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. But anything that can access, I think, because I think a large, things get interesting when you access the features of a phone, right? Especially the camera. A lot of stuff doing with AI is with with this camera-based functionality. Or microphone, even. There's a lot of audio-based AI now, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You could do speech recognition. I was actually looking into recently to see if I could create my own... uh, um, uh, oh my God! I, what, what's uh, Alexa? 
or OK Google or what's ours, Cortana. So like creating my own, <laughs> <laughs> creating uh, uh, something like maybe making an OK Asim or something in, in JavaScript. Wouldn't that be fun having a website which could respond to OK Asim? I love it. It's a PWA. It's Ask Asim. Yeah, it's Ask Asim. Yeah. Um, so there's, 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 you could do that. It was like, and it's purely client side. That's one of the advantages. Purely client side. You'd never have to send that audio to the server. You do that whole thing on the client side. So um, when you're building, when you're building one of these apps, Asim, excuse me, but I'm thinking Angular developer again. A lot of times we get asked to develop an app, and we pull in a third party library or something. And a lot of times I get asked about this. Hey, is there an Angular version of that library that we can pull in? Do you need an Angular version of these things to pull in, or can you just pull in the JavaScript and use it in Angular and call it a day? Pull in JavaScript, you can add it in a script tag or for Angular, you can add it as an NPM install and you can just go, you just go wild. I think, I think, so I think, I think in terms of Angular, it would be very much for building, when building Angular applications and front end applications, we're not going to be, an Angular developer, a pure Angular developer is probably never going to be asked to kind of train a model. But I think an Angular developer is going to find it very interesting to, bring one of these models, pre-trained models in and use it in their application. Okay. I think also... Um, Wire up the just, APIs and hook it up. Yeah. Hook it all together. Yeah. Hook I it all together. That. And I could see it as like, um, as I said before, with... Um, with uh, as a web developer, we always are very careful. We would never want to poll an API with stuff. So imagine imagine this scenario where we created this OK Asim. Um, we would only want to listen on the client side for OK Asim I should say, okay, Asim. I should say Asim. Um, Asim. And then um, whatever you say next, we would maybe grab in an Angular and then send to some other API. Uh, API so I, I just got plenty uh, plenty that, that helps you analyze uh, sound and extract text and, 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 and apply commands to that, right? So you, you, I, see, I see it's a combination of, of, of both, right? Uh, both together. So you, so you do as much as you can on the client and then only go to the server yeah. when you need to, pretty much like we normally yeah. do with things. Exactly. And the other thing I think is quite interesting is 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 with uh, work components, right? So that's some of the thing else I've, I've I've been working with as well. So, uh, wouldn't it be really useful to create some? I don't know with Angular elements, we can add <coughs> web components, kind of compile them down natively, or even just create reusable web components. Just just create reusable web components that you can just drop into websites uh, as the tag, which just have kind of some some AI functionality. Maybe this ASIM thing could be a tag. Maybe something which. Uh, uses the face API and detects if your if your if your ward could be just the the ward hyphen detector tag that you drop in, and only on a web page every every web page that's got that will show a little thing that only somebody who's not uh, ward will will see. Well, let's say we're building one of these apps, the the Ask Asim app, yeah. <laughs> like SG, yeah. right? For those of yeah. us who remember that. Uh, yeah. Would you, as an Angular developer, would you recommend people build something like that or WordBell, not WordBell, using TensorFlow or one of these services, uh, cloud services that do AI, like uh, like Azure does, or some of these others? And why? Well, like I, I think it's I think it has to be for audio, especially. I think it has to be a combination of, of both. Right? I think it has to be a combination of both. I, I think that I would feel very nervous if I had an application that was constantly listening to my voice, constantly <laughs> sending the snippets over to my There's server. There's so many good stories about this. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, whereas I would feel a lot more comfortable if I knew that the application was only trained and only knew, was listening all the time, but only knew how to react once you said, hey, Asim. Um, right. I have to build this now, don't I? I so something on the client is you have just enough training on the client, maybe with TensorFlow yes. to listen yeah. for, you must have, Hey, ask them, and maybe even a little bit more like part of the question afterwards. Yes. So you don't have one of those strange things that ends up in the news, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then call an API in the back end, which does all the heavy lifting for the, it's a really detailed yeah. response. Like what are the sports scores for today? Who won the world cup? Yeah. Yeah. And the same goes for like image. So I, like I mean, even even with like mobile net and then the face API and the face that the um, face JS that we have right now, you, you you can detect stuff on the client side, but it's not as powerful as what you can get on the server side. So the client side, and I've tried to use kind of mobile net and other things. It, it, it 
a, a pen it might detect as a chopstick, for instance. It, it's not that accurate. It's not that. It's pretty okay. It's amazing, really, to be honest with you. But it's not that accurate. You send that same image to the the Azure Vision Service, they will just give you, oh my god, so many tags, so much information about what's in the image, the type of pen. I'd never tell you the type of pen, but it gives you a whole more richer amount of information. But then again, you probably want to limit those yeah. API calls. We're very generous, but you still want to limit those API calls, um, even if it's just to save the, the the user's bandwidth on their on their phone or something like that. So I see, I see, it, I see those are good situations. Yeah, like, I, I've seen a couple of scenarios. Like, so imagine, imagine here, here's some scenarios that throw in our users, uh, our listeners' heads. Imagine you're working at some kind of a toll booth place where you want to stop cars from going through the toll booth and having to stop to pay all the time. Instead of a scanning technology, you use uh, a vision API that scans the license plate of the car is able to mm-hmm. pick out where the license plate is, when it was expired, and then looks up in the database to see where's it registered. Or you're entering a public transportation place and you want to use facial recognition to make sure the people, and I don't know if these things exist or not, I'm just making mm-hmm. this up. There's always PII stuff here too, right? You don't want yeah. privacy yeah. issues. But to like yeah. scan the faces of the people to say, oh, that's awesome. He's got a monthly card. He gets to dry, ride on the train for free. Let him go through. Or, yeah. But there's those are more involved situations, but these are the kind of things we're constantly seeing out there in the wild, um, you know, beyond the facial recognition, can I log into my phone kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. very interesting. Do you find, do you find it's uh, on the training side? I know Ward touched a little on this with you earlier, but do you find training these apps uh, to be difficult for, like on the TensorFlow side we talked about, what about like uh, on the server? Um, how hard is that to do? Because that seems to be the hang-up I hear about a lot. You mean in terms of com- computer? In terms of TensorFlow JavaScript, or in terms of tens- TensorFlow General? In terms of in, uh, the training the models, so training the AI models, so they can parse out like what to actually look at, or in audio, what phrases should they listen to or not listen to? Um, this is probably where I kind of admit that I'm not an expert on on AI, um, but I think what? that. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm not. <laughs> He's like, I actually don't code Angular either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I, uh, I I barely even know JavaScript. Um, yeah. No, the uh, the yeah. I mean, I think that's where that's where a lot of the complexity lies. But I think from from my research into a lot of this stuff, um, there's a lot of really well. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of information out there right now, basically, right? So you can always grab existing models, then you can read existing papers and essentially mirror what they're doing. The real brains of what's happening in AI right now, the really clever people, the ones that are coming up with new models and new ways of training and doing the really deep research into that. But a lot of the stuff is just published in papers. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I can read one of these dry papers and, and exactly turn it into a, a training model but um, on the server. But yeah, that is where that side of the things are is simpler. Um, and for me, I have not done any kind of deep training on the server side with, with a lot of this stuff, but I have then just taken pre-trained models and just started using them on the client side because we all like to do a little bit of NPM install and just start, 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 start going wild with their application. I like that. The pre-trained models would be nice. Maybe we can provide some links at the end of the show too for where to yes. find some of those. Yeah. Those yep. are helpful. Yep. I find that to be the biggest obstacle for me is like I wrote, I think it was a month or two ago, I wrote with some of my buddies, uh, Burke Holland and Brian Clark, who wrote mm-hmm. some varying apps that used uh, machine learning or uh, language processing, specifically, mm-hmm. where it listened to things that you would say, it pulled out the words, and yep. then it tried to take those words and match them to what your intentions were, uh, two mm-hmm. different things. Specifically, I built something that would turn uh, the lights in my office different colors. Oh yeah, those interesting bulbs, and we got really crazy with that stuff. Uh, and that I found that to me, I was like, oh man, the two big obstacles for me were how am I going to train this thing, and the second part was what does the API look like. And the APIs were all pretty easy, honestly, when I looked at all the varying services. But the training to me took a little bit longer. Uh, I had to go learn how to train it. Like, what is this? What is a? There's a thing called like intents that you have to learn. Like, what is an intent, and what ah. is the state? Yeah. Have you run into that at all? Like just having an understanding what language means? Yeah. 
I think that was it. that was intent. That was the um, the, the Lewis the Lewis uh, the Lewis uh, platform, right? Lewis in the same. Yeah, thing? Lewis is what they call it uh, for Azure. It's the natural language yeah. processing. Yeah, that's thing. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's a website, basic. I think it's just Lewis AI. AI, I think. Yeah, AI. and basically you go in there and you just start training it how to use and listen to intents and do other stuff. But yeah, yeah. I the first thing I was like is wait, what's an intent and what's a state? And they're not hard, but it was like just a new terminology I had to learn. Yeah, and I think that's. I think well, I think that's just something. There's, there's, there's no. I think there's no magic bullet for that. Really, I think you just have to. In each domain, is going to have its own method of inputting data that's going to be specific for that for that domain. And I think that was just a way of of structuring the data so that the uh, to to give you know just 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 something. I think you just have to you have to figure out for each platform. And I think that. Um, um, but it's, it's so. I think the challenge for you was, was was a in learning how to some of the terminology and in learning how to use a platform, but also I presume in grabbing a, 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 a test data. Is that right? Yeah, getting the test data, and when you have no test data to start with, that's to me what felt daunting. Not learning a platform, but okay, if I wanted yeah. to turn all these different colors and I wanted to be able to understand all my speech, yeah, I need to get all this data and actually input it into the system. Yeah. But I also think isn't that isn't that also a beautiful aspect of it as well? Because it, imagine you didn't have Lewis AI. The only way you could is that the models, the the, the method of programming is changed. Before you'd have to be quite uh, 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 explicit, you know, in, in exactly programming exactly what you needed to do for exactly a scenario. Whereas now you just provide examples. You just provide a bunch of examples, and the system basically learns for you. And, and creates the system. And I think that is, it's just a different way of thinking about it than the problem than, than, than not. And also people that, um, and also people that uh, perhaps are not so clued up um, is uh, for people that perhaps not, not, not so comfortable with programming, that that kind of model with Lewis AI might actually be preferential to, to learning how to code and, um, and, and, uh, and having to solve the problem in that way. Did we lose work? No, I'm here. I, I admit that it's fascinating, and I really want to be able to do this stuff. But I'm having, I'm still, you know, like I'm, I'm not usually writing Angular apps in which I run around with a phone camera on and, yeah. and the, or the mic on and trying to detect something, and, and I'm trying to understand the fundamental principle about when it makes sense to do AI in at, at the edge like this in the edge device. Mm -hmm. And when it's just like, hey, you know what, I'm going to just chuck it back at the server and let the server grind on it quickly. And why do I have to have anything down here in my browser for this purpose? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where, you see, so I get your scenario about, yeah, we can't be hanging the server up watching all the cameras in the world. Um, the, you know, the, the cameras ought to be able to wait, you know, that peripheral device ought to be able to uh, be the first line to detect something worth sending to the back so back end. Mm. So that makes total sense to me. That's just mm. appropriate division of labor. Um, but I'm trying to think that what that means though is that this you know this peripheral, this phone or whatever it is out here, is doing work all the time and saving the server from being bothered with something that the server shouldn't need. Is that a principle operating principle here? That is well. That's just something I'm. I'm. Uh, yeah, that is an operate for me. That's an operating principle for one of the reasons why I would want to use TensorFlow JS because I was using a lot of the APIs previously. With honestly, a lot of these kind of rather dumb mechanisms of just polling every second and and, and just kind of a lot of wasteful resources. So for me, that immediately felt like a really good example. Uh, well, and the well, it would if I'm doing camera stuff. But if I would, you know, yes. take another AI problem, like, um, uh, you know, say you were trying to do address scrubbing, you know, is that a really an address or something yeah. that a regular pedestrian yeah. application would do? It's yeah. not like I'm doing that all the time. So I might as well just send that back to the server and have it say, you know, that really doesn't look like an address. Um, yeah. Absolutely uh, right. Yeah. That is exactly the kind of use case where I'd throw it back to the server, yeah. Um, so most of my use cases that I keep coming up with, let's say a medical thing. Um, I'll give you another example. Uh, you know, where I'm trying to do is go with practical apps. Suppose I'm trying to develop an app that, that where I can go around to patients and I can sort of quickly see if there's some condition in their vitals that I'm detecting mm -hmm. just being the doctor walking around that should signal something. Again, yeah. I'm doing a data gathering thing, but I could just post that to the back end because I'm not trying to save the back end from, being drown from drowning in something. I do the gather. I send it to the back end. It gives me an answer, and ta-da. And so that's, yeah. again, that's not the case for AI in 
the browser. And the, the case you've made for AI in the browser is where it needs to be doing AI watching all the time. Is it, that's what I'm hearing. Am I wrong? Am I right? You, you are. I think, that's, I think that's a strong use case for AI in, in, the, in the browser. I think just taking it one step further and AI on the device as well, though, um, a device has a number of sensors, which maybe a browser would have it as well. Let's say, let's say browser on the device. Um, a number of sensors kind of like, that give you real-time data. Right? Image is just, your video stream is just a stream of images, right? But then you have a stream of uh, sensor data from your, your, your compass and, and a variety of other things. Um, maybe you want to keep that data, maybe you don't want to pass that data over to a server. There's, there's an argument for doing AI on the client side um, and, and keeping your data on the client side as well, right? So not having to send images over to a server, not having to send perhaps your GPS location over to a server. Are there other, I think there's applications of, of AI on the client side for privacy as well, is I suppose what I'm saying here also. So yes, you're right, real-time uh, real AI is a great use case for, for kind of JavaScript and AI and, and also uh, for client side JavaScript AI. And also, uh, yeah, keeping data private on your on your on your own devices and keeping it local is probably another really good use case for AI and JavaScript as well. Yeah. Is there anything special about um, about using a Angular with this AI stuff? Should I figure out that I actually have a use case, or is it um, is there anything um, uh, remarkable about using Angular with this, or is uh, or is it just something that uh, Angular developers like everybody else should know about? I think it's yeah. I think you're right. I think it's no. It's, it's not something that is 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 unique to Angular. Um, I think that I'm, I'm a fan of Angular, so I think that Angular is a is a great app platform for for building the types of applications which we may want to use TensorFlow.js. But it's true, you can build the same applications using a number of other frameworks as well. But I do think it's it's interesting because I, th I do think we need to know about this stuff because I'm, I'm imagining in the, in the future, and our space moves very very fast. So I'm imagining in the future, we are going to start to see. Um, Situations where now JavaScript developers are going to have to learn a little bit more about AI. They're going to start working in firms which are leveraging a lot more AI where they're just given a model and they're told, listen, we need to implement this somehow in our application. So I think we need to be aware of it from that perspective as well. And also just the options. As soon as you know something exists, then, then when you're faced with a problem in the future, you can then know that, well, maybe, maybe we can solve this with, with uh, a little bit of AI. I think it's, it's always good to know, right? So then when you're faced with a problem in the future, you can pull on that knowledge and perhaps use the technology to solve your problem. Yeah. Cool. So as, as we kind of wrap up this discussion, we always like to kind of lead people to, if you want to get started with these technologies, you know, using Angular with AI specifically, where would you lead them to? So uh, a couple of places. If you want to learn, um, well, if, well, I was going to have it for my for picks, but I'll just, I'll just do it now, actually, if I can do right, a little let's, bit. Let's roll right into your picks. You can start it. Go for it. Okay. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So I think the first pick is a little bit of a, a self-promotion, but I think it helps everybody on the, on the, on the podcast is, itself, is there's a website I'm launching with a couple of uh, other people who are passionate about the space called AIJS.rocks. And what this is, is, that is if you do want to learn about AI and JavaScript. This is kind of broader than just you know, TensorFlow, deep learning, client-side libraries. It includes APIs as well. Um, and, and any way in which uh, you can do AI and JavaScript, so either using TensorFlow.js or using an API, you can go to AIJS.rocks. There's a bunch of different um, example applications using a bunch of different technologies. You can click on them. You can view source on the, on the demos. You can then find out information about how it was built. And we're designing this place just to be a really good inspirational page just to show what people are doing in this space because it's very, very new. 
and also um, not only we didn't we didn't just want it to be just a place where you can like hey look at this f- cool fun stuff, but also hey how do they build it? How is this made? What libraries is it using? What APIs is it calling? It's a little bit more information about that so you can then learn um, learn how to build something yourself in the future. I think it's going to be a good resource to figure out what's possible in this space and it's obviously going to grow as we go along. And I think that's actually probably going to be a really good place uh, to go to, to kind of start your journey of figuring out um, what can you do with AI and JavaScript and if it's for you. Yeah, I think that's a good place to go. Ward, you got some picks? I am pickless today. So um, I'm going to pass. You're pickless or are you pickles? I'm pickles. I'm pickles. Pickles? I'm pickles. Uh, I did not prepare a pick. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I have a couple picks in here. Uh, one of them is technical related. Yeah, we were talking about Lewis, which is the language understanding services for Azure. And I've gotten to really actually enjoy using these. Uh, I never thought I'd get into this, but I, it's actually pretty cool. I'm playing quite a bit and you can check it out yourself. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, there's a short link that I've got. Uh, we can put there. It's basically just uh, Google Lewis.ai and you'll find it. Super easy. Lewis is L-U-I-S. Uh, but it helps you train models very quickly. You can do some really cool things like turn on and off your lights. Or you can uh, set up a text messaging system if you use something like uh, Twilio, where it listens to text messages to then do something. Uh, even combines things with like serverless functions, which are pretty cool. So I found it super easy to use and not hard to get started with. There's actually some pretty good stuff there. So check out Lewis. And as a second thing, I watched a movie recently. Uh, I was on a long flight with my family and my daughter, Madeline, she put me onto a movie. She's like, dad, you got to check out this cool movie. It's called Murder on the Orient Express. Hmm. And I had no idea they made this into a recent movie. Um, read the book eons ago. Um, I think you grew up with Agatha Christie, right, Ward? Yes, and actually, um, there was a. It's been a made a movie many times, but I think you're talking about the most recent one. Yeah, I saw the one um, when I was a kid. I forget who was in it, but uh, loved it. It's actually how I got introduced to Agatha Christie novels by watching that movie originally. I loved the story. The great mystery writer, and uh, the recent movie was it like a year or two ago that it came out. Ward, have you seen it? Yes, I did, and I enjoyed it. I did too. Um, really did. It was fascinating. So many great popular actors in it as well. So if you're just in a celebrity bingo, there's probably 10 famous actors in this movie. And I won't give away who all of them are. Some of them you won't even recognize. Probably halfway through the movie, you'll be like, that person looks familiar and the voice sounds familiar. Who is that? So won't ruin that for you. But uh, check out that movie, Murder in the Orient Express. My kids watched it um, all the way from ages 13 up. And so did my wife and I. And we all enjoyed it. You know, this talk actually reminded me that I do have a pick. Um, because no, no, our, no going back. No, no going back, Mr. No Pick. going back. Okay. <laughs> so one of our, I'm doing it anyway. Our, one of our friends, a friend of the show, a friend of Angular, Pascal Precht, uh, has actually devoted an awful lot of his time and, and his little company's time, ThoughtRam's time, along with Christoph, to Machine Labs. And I'll put ah, it yes. here. And it's a, it's a uh, this is also, it builds itself as fast and easy machine learning without leaving the browser. And I don't know how that relates to TensorFlow or anything else. I know that in speaking with him, his focus has, has really been on how to make it easy to, um, for people who aren't deep into uh, machine learning to be able to uh, get benefit from it. And so, um, we uh, we ought to tell the world about that too. So I'm putting that, um, a link in for that. And you you know Pascal very well in that whole project, don't you, Asim? Yeah, I think from 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 the way I, I think the way I would describe Machine Labs is, I think for Angular is like Plunker or Stack Blitz for AI. That's kind yeah. of the way I would describe it. Yeah. yeah. So you can do it in the browser and then pass a link on to people, and then then it's not it's not using TensorFlow.js. It's using it's, it's using kind of Dockerized containers in the back end to actually run your stuff. So it's pretty. It's just using. It's basically Python from what I, from what I, unless it changed it recently. But last time I checked, it was Python running on actual servers. It's presented to you in a browser. 
pretty really cool see, stuff. So it's, not, it's, it's, it's not the thing you're talking about where we're executing the machine learning in the browser. It's you're making a server call. So it's kind of an alternative to, to say the Azure calls or something like that. Or it's, it's, it's more, it's much more just as a learning tool. So, right. so you can, so you could not, maybe not even a learning tool, but like a, a tool just to, you know, you know how useful it is to have a stack blitz link and then sure you, is. you share it with somebody and then they can run it and it's all good. But you probably wouldn't use that in your production application. You would just use it as a, as a something else. Well, There's a wasp it, in my room right now, and I'm not. There's scared. a wasp in your room. Yeah, it's a wasp. It's a myth. It's a myth in my room. I am. I'm just telling you so you know that I'm not scared in the slightest. I wish we could show the video of this podcast. <laughs> Watching Asim just look around the room. <laughs> yeah, I am. Calm. He is poised to pounce. Okay, okay. There was a little fear. I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think if that's all we have for picks, folks, then that wraps up this episode. Asim, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Thank you for having me. Good to see you, man. Appreciate you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.